Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Today is July 24th, and um, because um, Laura got a little mad, um, we are going to be defining young adult literature. I always get mad show. about YA. Um, so we figured it was time to finally, like, um, hash out what it is, why it is, um, why it's so constantly under assault in terms of, like, definition and taxonomy in the book world. Um, but we figured we'd do kind of a YA discussion today. But before that, how about the basics, huh? Yes. Before I just rant to <laughs> to dead air, uh, I want to announce the special episodes for this month and next month. So we're almost done through July, which means that we have one special episode left, our first pages episode. That is going live this Thursday, July 27th. Um, special episode dates for next month. The Query Show goes live on Thursday, August 17th, writing by reading the following Thursday the 24th and then first pages again comes on the 31st so send us your first pages and queries to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com and hopefully we'll critique yours yeah be great um okay so before we get into the big meaty thing of the day um i figure we should start with something that i know has been catching my eye lately and it's been catching everyone's eye who pays attention to online media and writing um, and that is the just what feels like the near daily, definitely weekly layoffs mm-hmm. of writers. Um, we've seen this at outlets as big as ESPN just laid off a bunch of writers. We've seen it at Huffington Post. We've seen it at um, MTV News just did away with most of their writers. Um, Vice Sports no longer exists as of last week. Oof. Um, and obviously, you know, there's all this um, there's all this outpouring of, you know, sadness for these people who lose their jobs and just the injustice of it all. And I think that it's worth on a show like this um, echoing that to a big extent because one thing that really strikes me about it is just the names of the writers who are, like, newly unemployed. Um, You'd build a hell of a site just with the people who were were just fired. I mean, that's the thing that's so crazy about it to me is that – all these people were ones who produce incredible work or people who get read on a very regular basis, have good, solid followings for all the things that they write, and it just doesn't matter, you know, in terms of these decisions. And that's, I think, what's so frustrating about it and what's worth really like, I guess, you know, this little vent session for these people. But just like voicing is that it just seems so unattached to the quality of the work. Mm-hmm. You know, like these decisions are not being made because person X isn't a good writer. It's being made because there's this transition happening. And you see the jokes all flying around online and they are funny. But I mean, at this point, they're also like, um, you know, writing themed gallows humor, um, you know, about pivoting to video. Right. Like you see it like everyone, every site, you know, Vice and MTV. Is, oh, we're, we're pivoting to video. And that's why we don't need uh, these great writers anymore. And so we're letting them go. And it, it just bums me out because. The video thing, you know, like these sites that now want to just like put all their content in these videos that they can like run ads on and uh, create revenue that way. And, you know, it just seems really misguided to me. You also can't uh, like when you're not working and you're at your desk, yeah. you can't like secretly watch a video. Well, so that, that's the funniest part about it is it seems um, obviously you, you know why it happens. It's because ad revenue is much easier to place. Um, in a video than it is like, you know, on a page with a, you know, an ad blocker and all these kind of things. But like, um, it's, no one likes this stuff. Do you know anyone who would rather watch a video than read a well-written piece? Definitely not me. Definitely. I I, I don't want to have strangers talking at me. No. And I feel like that maybe it sounds like we're in like a, you know, well, you guys, of course you guys like written word, but I feel like most people do when it comes to that kind of content. And to me, the video thing, it just feels very short-term and reaction-based, Yeah, you know, and I just, I can't see it, I can't see it being the future. Do you and, know what I think a big part of this yeah. also is, though? There's been this huge transition in recent years towards writing in the gig economy. Yeah. That, you know, like, we don't want you, the writer, we just want your content. Everybody's a freelancer now. Everybody's a freelancer. Yeah. Everybody's, I mean, you're a freelancer and, 
you know, everybody everybody just wants the content and they don't want to build the name. It's it's it, it seems to me like it's not really about the writer. Oh, is yeah, I don't no, know. it's de- oh, well, it's definitely I think you're definitely right. It's definitely not about the writer. It's about the um it's about the clicks. It's about it's about content and it's about getting people to, you know, where can you get people to stare most reliably? Is like like that's what it comes down to. And I don't know, like so yeah, it sort of becomes this like strange um, you know, floating gig economy for people who, like, you know, if you're coming up as a freelance writer, like, you're hoping for that, for that, you know, staff job, right? Like, you do freelance work for a while, you, you know, you submit pieces places, you get picked up some places, and then finally, maybe you develop a good enough rapport somewhere where you can, they bring you on as like a regular staff writer, right? Yeah. And that was what was so striking about some of this stuff to me, is you see, especially, um, I'm thinking of like ESPN and MTV, um, guys who were ha- who had their dream jobs, you know what I mean? Like they had worked, they'd put in the the hours of the freelance, and they'd finally gotten that, you know, sought after column job at ESPN, and were doing work that everyone loved, that people thought were tr- was truly essential. And then they get, you know, they get cut. And when to me, when the dream jobs start to no longer become secure and safe, that's when something's going to change. You know, that's when. Um, you know, writers' goals are going to become different. Their means of supporting themselves are going to become different. And that's the that's so hard because um, all these people have to look for, you know, they have to look for work now. They have to find – and um, I don't know. So I was, I was thinking – I was sitting around and just being like, okay, well, what are these people going to do? How is this going to change? Because something has to change. And I think something is going to change just purely based on the basic concept that – too many really, really talented writers, writers that I would, as, as an agent, would sign in a second, you know, if they, like, sent me an email, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, writers who I think are, whose work I read, like, I had, like, alerts set up to read their stuff, you know, people I really, really thought were great. There's too many of these people who aren't employed. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> when that when that happens and there's just talent that people like sitting around, eventually I just feel like the structure is going to reshape themselves in some new form that supports these people and this talent and that um, desire to see these people do their creative work. It's going to reshape itself somehow, and I think it has to. And um, I don't know, like you see this like new crowdfunding thing, right? Like you've got um, you know Patreon, especially like you know you and I are – in essence, you know, creators who um, use a crowdfunding site to bring in a little bit of revenue. Yeah. Um, and you're seeing more and more writers do it that way. You know, it's like having, a, you know, they put some of their blog posts behind a paywall or something. Um, you're seeing other kind of just like people who want to do some like written thinking. You know, people are starting to pay like monthly subscription fees to see what they want to do. And it's like you could almost see like a primordial start to maybe how something new is going to yeah. take place. And I have no, you know, I'm not some sort of visionary. I have no idea. But I just think like maybe with some of the recent like success stories on crowdfunding platforms, maybe there's something cohesive and joint on a much larger scale there that's going to make this work because um, to me, the evidence that people want to read these read these writers' work is still very abundant and very high and people are willing to pay for it. And when that's true, it's going to reshape itself somehow. And I wish that there wasn't this interim period where corporations just laid off every talented person they have and left everyone in kind of this lurch of uncertainty and joblessness. Um, but I hope that there's change coming because there has to be because this is this is crazy. I mean, it's every every time you log in to social media, someone new, some new department is being let go. Yeah. And, and from like a book perspective, seeing journalism essentially collapse – <laughs> is 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 really kind of alarming but you know at the same time i think a lot of this is because of the internet right yeah, yeah. but something that the internet has done for books is it's made the author um a celebrity in 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 a lot of ways that their their word for for famous book writers yeah. right yeah. their words beyond just the the book themselves yeah have made them a celebrity, right? So it's 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 made that in a way kind of kind of exciting and people a lot more like creator focused. Well, it makes everybody more accessible. And I yeah. think that that's true of not just it's definitely true of book writers like you're saying, you know, all the people whose work you love, um, you can now 
watch them think and think aloud in between books, right? Because right. you go online and see that. And that's also true of journal. I mean, you know, journalists are usually highly active on Twitter. And I think like through that is where you get this sense that people are willing to also, you know, pay like a monthly fee yeah. on places like Patreon to see them kind of do work in between. Like it's, you know, it's sort of set up as a side hustle thing, right? And maybe the transition that's coming is that this people can start using, um, you know, sites like these and like maybe someone can actually figure out how to like conjoin it together into a cohesive effort. It almost, it almost seems like it's kind of a rejection very much of the gig economy, you know, very much yeah. a, a well, if you want my content and you don't want me, I'm going to go somewhere where the yeah. people want me and my content. Yeah. And I feel like that has been But it's a, in a transition, a case, yeah. Yeah, I feel like that's that's kind of a little bit more the case for books just the way that this business is set up. Um but I'm I'm wondering if that kind of instant celebrity of of writers is going to maybe help lead the way for the journalists. Yeah. Um but I don't know, it's interesting. I mean, it's sad. You know, you never want to see people who who write for a living lose lose their jobs, lose their incomes. Well, it's think, not fun. Yeah. No, I mean, I think what's hard, like I, every time these things happen, um, I, you know, I always get frustrated because it, it feels very unjust to me. It's like, okay, well, you know, I am a part of this industry yeah. in my own small way. Like, what can I do? You know, how, how can I be part of the solution? It's like, the books are too slow to fix this particular problem. You know, like we had a very, very early episode about, um, you know, books in the um, think piece economy. And like I think our key point was that um, books don't necessarily – they don't keep up with how fast the news cycle is, with how fast people want content. And it's kind of true. It's true not only in that way but it's also true from a finance perspective. It's like when you t- someone who is d- who no longer has a regular job, you can't just go to them and say, "Well, okay, well, do you want to write a book?" Because the payoff from that is months or years, you know, even in a lot of cases down the line, and it's it just makes it tricky. And I guess um, I just want I hope that that transition is coming, and I think that it has to because there's too many really brilliant people out of work who have a demonstrable audience for that work. And when that, I just, I think something has to change and I hope something, it happens sooner rather than later. I want to, I want to talk about a content creator, a brand new content (laughs) creator. Uh, You know, people, people who I think are doing what, what the, the journalists are very much doing and kind of turning towards uh, their own way. They're finding their own path, as you say. Sure. Um, There was an announcement last week in the LA Times, which announced that Keanu Reeves is now a publisher <laughs> of a company. Keanu Reeves makes a book publisher. It sound, that sounds like a – it's almost like a 30 Rock episode or something, I feel like. But um, yeah, so what's it called? Tell me about Ex-artists it. Ex-artists books. Mm-hmm. So they're um, – one thing to know about this company is that they're very, very into the possessive plural. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> um, so this, this is a, this is a company that is run by Alexandra Grant, who is an artist, Jessica Fleischman, who is a designer, and then Keanu Reeves, who- Who's just a renaissance man. Is an actor. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so this is a very California company. Yeah. Um, and the big thing to know about this company in particular before, you know, all of you listeners send off your manuscripts to this to this company um, is that they make artists books. Yeah. Well, so I'm looking at it and what's interesting to me and I do think, I mean, jokes aside about, you know, Keanu Reeves starting a book publisher and all that stuff. I do think there's something interesting here um, as it relates to um, art books. Because I think that it's easy to forget that a book is like a medium in and of itself. Yeah. You know, like so much of um, when you think of like an art book or like a really uh, something that's highly illustrated, you sort of view the book as like a necessary vehicle for like someone's illustrations, right? It's like, well, this is the best way we have to kind of get these um, images or these, you know, artistic ideas out into the world. And we just got to use the book because it's a necessary evil. And the book itself isn't really a part of that art. You know, but this seems it seems to be, you know, I'm looking through some of these pictures they've got and they they really seem to be paying attention to um, just like the physical properties of the book and like trying to take advantage of that as part of the art itself. 
Yeah. You know, like you've got kind of images playing with blank space, playing with um, text, playing with, you know, page turning. And to me, you know, as someone who really um, likes, you know, the physical, and I've, you know, I've said this a bunch on this show, I really enjoy physical books. Um, this, this feels like a really great innovation in its own way. I have no idea if this company is going to succeed or fail or if they, you know. I don't think it matters. But I, but I love, <laughs> but I guess I love the attempt. I love the idea that someone would want to take a physical book and not treat it as like an outdated but necessary vehicle for text or images and say, no, 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 no. this is actually the thing that we as an artist, um, we want to use to put, you know, this is the best way to put our concept into the world. Right. and. Um, you know, art designed specifically for a book and not just like a collection of prints or something. I don't know. So I want to I want to explain a little yeah. bit to our listeners specifically about what artist yeah. books are. Yeah. Um, because you know, I hear the term art book and I think like this is a book about art or like this yeah. is a book with like pictures of art in it and then it like talks about it and that sort of thing, right? Like they like you said, it's a it's a vehicle to experience. Mm-hmm art in, you know, whatever medium that art was originally in. An artist book particularly is the art in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. So it's 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 art in the same way that, you know, the Mona Lisa is art on on canvas, right? I actually don't know if the Mona Lisa is on canvas, but I'm going to go with it. Um, <laughs> some sort of flat something. Just keep keep Just trucking. Keep Just trucking. Keep okay. So so this very much um is it's it's everything. It's words and visual media and how it's designed and what the book is kind of encompassed together to kind of enhance your experience. And so um, the the big thing is that they they take this and then they contrast it with like a picture book, for example, yeah. for children. Um, and a picture book, you know, the illustrations help inform the narrative, right? They help inform the story. So it's very much the the illustrations and the story working together and the book is just the medium and you know they you know that's that's how you get an idea across yeah. the idea with the artist books that this company is doing um is that you can come at it because you like books you can come at it because you like the words in it you can come at it because you like um you like the art in there and you can come at it all these different ways and they're not necessarily related to a narrative. Yeah. And it's a lot of kind of like complementary images and text and the experience of the book, but but it kind of can it's a jumping off point, I guess. Sure. I mean, it seems like it's um to me what's interesting is that it's a you know, I mean most of these seem pretty collaborative, you know, it's like you've got the person um, who's written the text, the person who's done the illustrations, but then thirdly, the person who designed the book. Yes. You know, like there, and that person is as much of like an artist as opposed to like just being like the necessary manufacturing department of a publisher. Correct. Like, I don't know, there's something here about, you know, they wanted a book that you would, you know, again, like I have no idea how any of these ideas are going to work in uh, execution, but I do love just like someone thinking like this. I mean, you know, they want a book that you can, um, you know, read in bed. And so it's, they say here that it's like, you know, they wanted it softer and kind of floppy so that it wouldn't hurt. You know what I mean? Like you. <laughs> you could roll over on it yeah, and drool exactly. on it. And you'd be no, I love that kind of stuff. I mean, and just as like in terms of making, treating um, the book as an object that is more than just like the the receptacle for the words. Yeah. You know, like I think that's cool. And I'm looking just like at the basic data here. Um, the first two, you know, it says here that their first two titles are uh, 35 bucks each. Um, the print runs are around like 1300 um, That feels very, just like in terms of my experience, that's very reminiscent of like a slightly academic leaning university press book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sort of a smaller, though that's a, uh, for 35 bucks. I mean, that's a pretty, um, you know, 1500 copies. I mean, you're, you know, if you can keep the manufacturing costs kind of low and maybe you can't in a book like this, but yeah, maybe. Um, you can, you can really do well there. Um, so I don't know. It seems like, um, it's an experiment I'm happy to monitor. I'll I, say that. I have to admit, Eric, when I heard about this, I guffawed because I was like, Keanu Reeves, like what, like what? <laughs> and I still um, don't necessarily dis- – I still kind of think that. But like no. it's fun as hell and I'm into well, it. Well, it like, is. It is. But I, but I saw that and then I read about the, the artist's book, 
right? As as a concept. And at first, like I have to be honest, I scoffed at that. And I was like, what? That's ridiculous, yeah. right? Um, but then I thought about it and I thought about um a local, a local nonprofit that we have here, um, mm-hmm. Minnesota Center for Book Arts. Yeah. And it's located in the same building that the Left Literary Center is. Yeah, um, I love that. that milkweed, that milkweed, which is a publisher, um, is and MCBA is the nation's largest like book arts mm-hmm. organization, right? This the 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 nation's biggest nonprofit for yeah. this. And I've been seeing their work for years and I and I love it. And you know, MCBA puts on um, classes, but they also have these wonderful exhibits about like using books and paper as as a medium to for art. So sometimes it's the book itself, sometimes it's taking the book and turning it into something else. And I love that. And for some reason, I I originally my first my first you know approach to this was the X artist books is is weird and I don't like it. And so yeah. here's here's what I want to ask you. Mm. So X artist book books. X artists books. See, I told you <laughs> they liked problem. plural yeah. they liked yeah. plural possessives. Yeah, we just came across one of their first problems. Yeah, one of their first problems. I think it's meant to be read, not yeah. spoken about. Yeah. Um, are they a book publisher? So, they, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I would say definitely because I think that we've, um, and I think that that you know I get the the like the seed in your question is kind of like, is this what a book actually is like, or is a book something different? I would say that this definitely is because um, I think that. The book, the possibilities of a physical book have gone long under-examined, you know. And to me, this sort of represents at least an attempt to kind of explore that a little bit more in an age when, like, all the trends would tell you that um, bookmaking needs to be, you know, we need it needs to be as simple as possible. It needs to be able to go on a tablet. Mm. You know, we need to just have, like, we're practically down to just, like, nice-looking PDFs at this point, you know what I mean? <laughs> and it's like this pushes in the opposite direction. And is it... Totally industry-wide sustainable? Of course not, because those trends, you know, for how people consume text and stuff are there for a reason. But I do, um, I think this, in terms of, is this a book publisher? I would say yes, because just because it's all also all these other things, which is like art and like they refer to um, some of their projects here as like performance, you know, in terms of reader experience moving through some of these uh, works. Um, but there's no reason that a book can't be those things, do I guess you, is my point. Do you point. think that this company is a pub, is a book publisher in the same way that like Blackstone Audio is a book publisher. Interesting. Because yeah. because what yeah, you, I would you think say, so? I would say yeah, because I think that um book is it's obviously something with um you know physical properties and all this stuff, but it's also, you know, it's come to mean it's come to mean more, you know, like you know p- people have kind of gotten on me before about my takes about like you know is read do you read an audiobook and my answer has been no to that but that doesn't mean that it's not an audiobook mm. if that makes sense like i still consider an audiobook a book that is meant to be consumed by yeah someone if you use read as a synonym, synonym for consumption then sure. yes you it's read just it you get into i mean the but, point is you yeah. get into all these little like squabbles about terminology and stuff and i but i guess like to answer your question i think that um, I think they both are books, and I think that you're seeing kind of two opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. And I just think that this end, in this age of we got to make everything as um, device-ready as possible, I don't know. I, I really like it. And I think that the only way – I would say this too – the only way that print books can really survive is to make the print book worth buying, to make having the physical copy be something that – Absolutely needs to be owned instead of the ebook. You know, like it's. I guess I've always found it strange that the, all these formats were treated as interchangeable. Mm. You know, like we'll take this book and we'll take the same content and we'll print it and then we'll make it an ebook and then we'll make it this other kind of ebook. And it was all just kind of like this copying that happened with the content. And I've always kind of felt that there was kind of a missed opportunity there. Mm. It's like what you're you're just ignoring the entire properties of each format. And it's like the more you. Um, and we've, you know, we've talked about like House of Leaves on this show before too. But like that was a book to me that felt really, really necessary for what format um, it was for in. like the hardcover version. And you, you hear that, you know, Mark Danielewski has talked about trying to make that into an ebook, and he found it nearly impossible. You know, it's and, not available as an yeah, ebook. And like he trying to like 
fit that all together and working with this editor on that, he found the task to be undoable. And so, like, I really think that this end of the spectrum, the pushing on, you know, the physical capabilities of what a book could be, um, I don't know, it's kind of quaint in its own way because obviously so much of where we're – and we just talked about um, all the perils of, um, you know, the written word in this age. You know, like, it's things have got to be kind of snappy and digital, but um, – but know. you you do love a good print book. Yeah, but and I don't think I yeah, but that, then that's <laughs> you're but, not the only one. Yeah, but that's more than just sentiment. I yeah. want to make clear. I think that that's still viable, and it's viable if people pay attention to those qualities. And I think that success or fail, this at least is an attempt at that, and I I find that admirable. I want to talk about some other writer who is pushing the bounds of what a book can be. <laughs> You've been very good with the transitions. Thank you. (laughs) Very impressed. So that, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) means that it is time for the James Patterson book of the week. Hell (laughs) yes. We haven't done one in a while, so I felt like we needed the gong. It has been a while. So this this book by James Patterson and also another author, um, Kesia Ball, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, But mostly James Patterson, let's be real. Mm Mm-hmm. This book comes out August 1st, uh-huh. so definitely Coming order up. it. It's Yeah, yep. there's the paperback version available for $4.99. The Kindle is $3.99. Mm-hmm. Get you some. Here's the book. The Dolls. Okay. That's the title. Okay, what's it about? The Dolls are perfect lovers. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> why, can't, why can't we even get through one sentence of these scriptures? All right, keep going. The dolls are perfect lovers, perfect companions, perfect killers. Mm, so at this point, I would like to point out that Joss Whedon already wrote this book like five, <laughs> ten years ago, and it's called Dollhouse, and it stars oh, Eliza yes. Dushku, and there's only two seasons of okay, it. Okay, so, so right, well, you keep giving me the copy, and I'll see if I can answer my question. Investigative reporter Lana Wallace has covered many crimes of passion in ten years. But nothing will prepare her for the dark secrets of the dolls. Wait, so are the dolls? They're real people? I, I mean, I don't know. That's the end of the copy. But That's I would assume okay. that the dolls are some sort of like assassin, sex slave kind of thing. I don't think they're actual robots. I don't think that yeah, James that, that goes question. that. That was my question. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that they're robots or anything. I don't think James goes that far for this thriller necessarily. But I think that they're... Like some sort of Charlie's Angels, yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, sure. But um, but with less control and agency over what mm-hmm. they do and who they work for. Yeah, perfect. That's yeah. good. So, <laughs> um, I love that we had to do one this week because um, people have been, and I love that people do this. People keep sending me like copies of Patterson books out in the wild, like online, and it's always like. I don't know. We got one the other day. I forget who sent it to me. Crazy but, house. Yeah, it was called Crazy House. <laughs> And I was very pleased to find Crazy House. But um, anyway. Yeah, I don't know. My <laughs> guess, and I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'll, I'll read this, but I would like for one of you listeners to read it and then tell me if I'm right. But my guess is that these are women maybe having something to do with like human trafficking something and then they like end up with really, really rich men and then kill them for their money and then they go off and do it again. By the way – I hope that when we do these segments, people realize that we are not saying that these books are necessarily like bad reads or like poorly written. No, they're fun as hell. That's what I like. Usually, like I have full. I fully believe. I haven't read any of these, but I fully believe they're like a good time and like are engaging and like fun to like pick up and read for whenever you're in the mood. Like this is not a commentary on the quality of these books. I just find the. The copy to be amusing. The uh, <laughs> the the little tagline for this one is the doll. So the dolls is the, yeah. the title, right? Yeah. The little tagline is looks can kill. Hmm. Yeah. So, I still have no idea if the characters are human or not, but I don't know. Um, okay. I don't know. So that's yeah. That's that is your James Patterson book of the week. <sighs> Thank you. Get out there and buy it. Okay. So it's let's do let's do the big thing here. Okay. Um, and you, I I'm gonna fr- stretch. So, <laughs> so we came across this. There was an article. Um, I think it was in the millions. They sent it out. Um, it ended up being like from about <clears throat> like late fall last year, and it was kind of like 
a take on, you know, there not being such a thing as young adult literature. Which, to be fair, right. is a take that comes out, like, every week. Right, and that's and that was why it felt so timeless, is that the idea that young adult literature does or does not exist is just this eternal arguing point. <laughs> and, like, everybody has an opinion on it. No one seems to believe, like, everyone feels really, like, right about whether or not YA yeah. is a real thing, and, like, no one can really define it, even though it's... Um, Obviously, an incredibly lucrative and popular field in the moments we decide that it is one. Um, and I just don't I, – I, so I guess what I want to start with, Laura, just as a means of trying to like put some terms to you know definitions. Yes. What to you does young adult literature mean? Because – because, because, before <laughs> – Because, because, before, because, because, yep. Before you dive in, you know, there's all sorts of little paradoxes people point to, right, that leave them feeling a little bit... Give me some examples. Well, like the first is that most of the people buying young adult literature mm-hmm. books are adults. Yep. And they, I think the stat in that article was that 80% of, you know, young adult YA readers are people who are not teens, you sure. know, like they are adults. Or like, um, you know, the idea, you know, that you hear kind of the grumpy, well, you know, when I grew up, you just had to read books meant for adults. There were no books for me, you know, or, um, you know, the people who... Um, you know, the authors, this is this is another one that comes up a lot, is the authors of YA books are usually not um, teenagers. Mm-hmm. And so you get into these kind of arguments about, well, if the readers aren't teens and the authors aren't teens, how can we call the book, how can we call it young adult literature? And um, for the record, <laughs> before, <laughs> so that we don't start getting this, I, I'm, I'm pro YA literature. I think that it exists, but... Um, and of that's, course it exists. Even that is, even that is I'm like pro yeah, yeah, yeah. YA because <laughs> I believe that it is a thing. <laughs> that was poorly worded. What I mean to say <laughs> is that the field as currently talked about by agents like Laura and many others on social media and like the shelves and, um, you know, the popular conception of YA I do not feel is a trend that is worth fighting or pushing back against. I think that it's a very valid uh, thing for reasons I can get into later, but you are much more knowledgeable on this than me. And so I want to start with you. So, Laura, why – tell me about young adult literature. Okay. Okay. So before I do this, I would like to say that I am um, coming at this as somebody who has worked in YA for a long time yeah. as an agent. Um, but I'm also coming at this with with kind of an academic history, right? Mm-hmm. So um, when I was still in school, I conducted a um, – semester plus of dedicated study towards the academic scholarship surrounding YA, right? So um, so there are there are things that you as a reader might say, well, that's not right. Um, and that might be the case, but I'm going to be talking about current scholarship as well. So let's go back in time. I need to give you a little bit of a history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not okay. sure if Eric is loving this or hating this. Well, um, we'll see. So I think one of the first things is a lot of people will say, like, why is YA so big right now? And I think that kind of touches back on the, you know, when when I was a teenager, we just read books. We didn't need to have books just for us, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, if The Hunger Games is YA, then why isn't Frankenstein YA? Because Mary Shelley wrote it when she was 19, right? And here's why. Because YA is for teenagers, right? And the concept of the teenager as it currently exists didn't develop until after World War II. Um, So So it's not the books that changed. It's the teens that changed. Well, no, both changed. (laughs) Both changed. (laughs) I'm trying to be so. Yeah, yeah, it's not working. Okay, Okay, yeah, good good talk. Uh, So kind of to to put it really quickly, um, everybody kind of went gung-ho and, you know, tore into the workforce around World War II. Um, there weren't a lot of jobs open for teenagers and because everybody came back from the war and then all of a sudden, like, all of the jobs were filled up by the people who came back. Mm-hmm. Um, the women went, you know, back into the kitchens and that sort of thing. Um, yes, I know that's, that is an oversimplification. I know. Uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden we were in this great economic boom. And teenagers who would normally have to go to work or kind of support their families no longer had to do that. And Mm so you had this whole new class of young people whose only job in their families was to kind of like be a kid. 
Um, and they were teenagers. And this was the first time they really had their their own kind of expendable, disposable income. Okay. So the idea of the cool teenager, you know, the the cool like <laughs> grease, like going to movies, yeah, you know, yeah, going yeah. dating, yeah. that sort of thing happened. Um, at the same time, there were a couple of books that came out that became really, really, really popular amongst teenagers. So the first actually happened before World War II was even over. Um, in 1942, a woman named Maureen Daly published a book called Seventeenth Summer. Okay. And she wrote this book when she was um, – she started when she was 16 and it came out when she was still a teenager. And this was – this is commonly in scholarship considered to be the first YA book. Uh-huh. Um, and it's – you know, it's – you read it now and you're like, this is kind of lame because it's just about like this girl falling in love when she's 17. Well, so that that transition yeah. in content of what constitutes YA mm-hmm. I think is interesting and we can get to that in a minute. Yeah. So this this was kind of – it was written by a teenager. It's about a teenage character doing very teenage things that are very new. Yeah. Um, and people totally went crazy for it. Mm-hmm. Um, following that, you had J.D. Salinger writing Catcher in the Rye, which was published in 1952. Uh-huh. Um, J.D. Salinger was, of course, not a teenager, but um, Holden Caulfield was a dumb little teenage prick, right? So mm-hmm. people really liked that too. Um, and of course – Catcher in the Rye was read by everybody and still is. Yeah. Um, but it kind of hit a place with that younger demographic. Yeah. Kind of. So the third kind of idea of like the book that started YA, these are the three commonly, sure. commonly accepted start points of the genre, and they very much build on one another. The third one was The Outsiders, written by S.E. Hinton, um, which came out in 1967. And this was this was kind of like the final nail in the coffin where like people in publishing houses were like, hey, these teenagers like books. Yeah. We should maybe have more of this. Yeah. Um, and so Essie Hinton was 16 when she wrote The Outsiders. So I think it's really, really important as you consider what YA is to yeah. remember the start points out of the three like main start points that build off of one another yeah. in the history of young adult literature, which is a very American um, a very American conception, yeah. right? Uh, you have to remember that two of the three people were women, and they wrote them. They wrote the book and published the book when they were teenagers. Okay, so just like I, you know, that's all very interesting. And but like, let's just stop for a second on Catcher in the Rye. Yeah, just as like an illustration of kind of the same tropes we see in argument today mm-hmm. against the existence of a specific category known as young adult literature, mm-hmm. right? Um, J.D. Salinger was an adult. Yes. He wrote a novel that happened to have a younger character in it. Yep. But it was a book uh, written by an adult. It's a book read by adults, and it was a book received critically well by adults. Mm-hmm. What about that book is young adult literature? Well, besides the fact that it was very, very early on um, and a lot of – Teenagers were buying this book and loving this book. So, yeah. Besides that, um, there is kind of this big general like if if I have to look at all of the YA books that exist in this world and kind of pick the things that connect all of them, mm-hmm. um, it it is these two things. One is a significant lack of hindsight that this character has. So hmm. think think about like you as an adult, yeah. dear listener. Um, Think about how you now conceptualize your teenage years. Yeah. You think about something like, oh, I had this crush on this girl and I, you know, I was so dumb about it and blah, blah, blah. And you kind of have this sense of hindsight. You kind yeah. of have you're, – you're kind of laying your emotional maturity as an adult on top of your experiences then and you're kind of separating yourself from that. Yeah. Right? Um, YA books have teen characters that don't do that. Right, because right, they're the, teens. Exactly. Like, and not only are they teens, but you and you tell me if I'm wrong here because you know better than me, mm-hmm. but they are written in such a way as to authentically speak about the teen experience yes. that feels very relatable. Mm-hmm. And that – a huge yeah. part of that – I mean a lot of it is voice and like, hey, like yeah. a teenager would say that and a lot of it is very linked to the time. But, yeah. but kind of at the core of what that is is it doesn't trivialize what teenagers go through. Right. So it's not like, oh – Danny doesn't like me. My world is ending. It doesn't like trivialize that because it doesn't have that sense of hindsight 
or kind of like the it gets better mentality or anything like that. It's it, just kind of it like renders in the, the moment. world. It renders the world as a teenager sees it. Exactly. It treats that teen experience as valid and in a way adult, right? Or as adult yeah. as that characters and, and those characters are capable of being. Correct. Yeah. And and it kind of really is deep within that teenager experience. Yeah. The second kind of overarching thing that makes a book YA. Yeah is that it is at its core um, about a individual trying to find their place in their community. Hmm. Okay. So kind of find out in a lot of ways, you know, that that turns into, you know, the coming of age book, right? Like you kind of, you are kind of growing up and and you're pushing against your familial boundaries. You're pushing against your community boundaries. You're trying to find out, you know, what's going on with your friends, with your lovers, et cetera. Um, but when you kind of zoom out at 30,000 feet, like even the Hunger Games is yeah. about Katniss finding her place in her community, yeah. right? Um, through whatever means that is. Yeah. Um, and so if you take the lack of hindsight and you have the exploring community, that's how you get YA. And well, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that that, um, that that combination is critical. Yes. Because you could see how – you know, like a coming of age story is, you know, and like, and that's kind of what you're talking about with like trying to find your place and grow up and fit into your community. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that someone could easily point to and say, no, 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 there's plenty of adult fiction about that. <laughs> there's lots of, you know, there's books that I would, you know, but like when that sort of archetype, when that sort of, you know, arc is mm-hmm. told while also trying to render the teen experience as without the adult hindsight and the adult tone that often gets attached to the way we think about our teenage years. To me, that's where the combination rings very true and sort of becomes kind of the um, really specific, correct um, definition of what we're talking about. Yeah, and know? I and I want to be you know very clear. It's when when I when we're talking about tone here, we're yeah. talking about you know like the combination of those things. Um, a lot of people when they read YA, they'll say you know, this felt really teen or, you know, I'll read something in the slush pile. And the the reason I'm turning it down is because it just doesn't feel YA enough. Yeah. And a lot of that is a very like kind of low level awareness of those two things. Yeah. You know, I mean, beyond the fact that, you know, you're you're using the right slang, that sort of thing. Like if if there's not um, kind of that prescriptive attitude, if if there's if there's. Um, not this kind of like adult talking to kids, yeah. then you're yeah. going to feel very much like that. You know, I hear a lot from people, especially writers I talk to at conferences and, you know, all of these dumb articles that people are talking about, like, well, this isn't YA. Um, a lot of people talk about content or they talk about like writer voice yeah. as reasons that something is or isn't YA. Right. So it's like, you know, well, this isn't YA because it has sex in it or drug use or whatever. It's like, well, guess what? Teenagers do both of those things. <laughs> well, that was what I was talking about earlier yeah. with like the evolution of this stuff, because I think one thing that people are constantly saying is that the experiences relayed in these books often feel very mature and adult. Well, yeah, yeah, but that's because they are in our weird Puritan conception of like what is appropriate. <laughs> but like yeah. the fact of the matter is, is like if you are a human being moving through space, chances are that, you know, somebody yeah. will have experienced, you know, drug use or assault or, or bullying least, or even, something. Or even if you haven't, you'll have at least thought about it. You know, if you're exactly. and if you're a teen, you'll know someone who has and maybe reading, you know, reading it a version of that experience is something you'd be interested in, you know, because maybe you're trying to just know something about the world, you know, yeah. through fiction, you know. And so that experience, you know, and that seeing experience is key. Um, you also brought up something interesting about, um, you know, those first of those three books you mentioned, you know, two of them mm-hmm. being women. Yes. And there's, I think, a hallmark of young adult literature. And I don't know if we've made this point on this show before, but you see it a lot online. And I think it's a really good one is that so much of the books that end up kind of on the social cutting edge yeah. on of the books that are considered to be the most, I guess, quote unquote, progressive or the ones that are kind of dealing with the most contemporary themes of, um, you know, social justice or things like that. They're usually YA books. Yeah, you know? of course they are. And <laughs> it's and so why, of course, because I, I and I, it makes sense intuitively to me because it feels like a space where, um, you know, like that. 
in the moment, that urgency that comes in a fall teen experience feels like it could really fit. But like, why do you think it, of course, that is the case? Of course, that is the case, I think, for a couple of reasons. Um, from like what your readership likes from that aspect, um, if you're writing a book for 16 year olds, like think of the 16 year olds now, they are infinitely more aware with like the nuances with identity and gender and that sort of thing than even I am. You know, if you if you look at the young people in any generation, like the young people are are the ones who are kind of the most fluid and flexible and open-minded about a lot of a lot of ideas. Yeah. Right? Um from a kind of business perspective, um I think that because of a lot of misogyny essentially Mm -hmm. um children's literature and and romance literature are very much kind of looked down upon and as kind of and they're just kind of ignored by a lot of big outlets right yeah so and we've talked a lot about romance on the show and kind of the stigma with with romance it gets kind of slighted yeah exactly and and YA is the same way actually in a lot even more so because a lot of people who don't read YA or read a very certain selection of YA you know that only read Twilight and haven't read anything else yeah they look at this and they say, well, there's romance and a happy ending and it's for teenage girls. So, blech, right. Yeah. And I think because that's the case, I think that a lot of the writers in there get to do a lot more stuff and and nobody's kind of like smacking them down because they're going to be like the reputation maker. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you're not beholden to the giant literary critical apparatus yes. of America. You can feel freed up to try more innovative things, whether it's in theme or in tone. And in a way, I think that while YA certainly deserves, especially with like sales figures now, I mean, YA is a giant, you know, sales market. Um, When you're not getting, you know, that pressure and, you know, you're not worried about having your reputation ruined by whatever (laughs) major outlet, you can try, you can try bigger things, you know, and you write about whatever you want. Yeah. And I think that that's um, that has come to form a lot of the identity around the the category in yeah. a lot of ways. And I also think that it's gotten in it sort of has seeped into um, what I would call YA culture. Yes, uh, which is that everybody, um, you know, people are pretty. I don't think it's unfair to say that YA um, everybody's social mad. media. Every, <laughs> I was trying to be delicate. Uh, <laughs> um, everybody is pretty argumentative. You know, people are quick to come to bat for their fellow writers. People are, you know, it's very, in a sense, and I and I think a lot of this is is a virtue. I mean, they're pretty tribal. You know, if they if someone is getting picked on or someone's getting you know treated unfairly, um, you know, this is a community that um, you know circles the wagons. You know, pretty quick. And um, well, because nobody else is going to come to right, the rescue. Right, exactly. You know, and it, so it's a you know it sticks up for itself pretty well. And you see it sometimes. You see someone like say something flippant online about young adult literature, and it's like, everybody oh, comes oh, with buddy. the smackdown. And before it, you're just like, oh man, <laughs> enjoy the rest of your day. <laughs> well, there's also you know, and the circling the way, and there's also a lot of reason for that in terms of like reputations as writers. Yeah, there's yeah. there's this a whole idea that. You know, writing for teenagers is easy or it's bad writing right, right. or something like that. And and the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people don't think that tone can shift across different YA books. Right. Um, they think that, you know, like there's no such thing as a literary YA novel. Yeah. And that's just bullshit. Of course it is. Um, yeah. yeah. So the a, a particular tone does not make something YA. Particular... Um, content does not make something YA. Yeah. And and it's, you know, overall it's it's an age category and it has really, you know, it's written for teenagers and it has no none of that hindsight and it has um and it has that kind of person in the community work. And that's basically it. After that, you can do whatever you want. It's also strange to see um large scale critiques of the category from people from like a um, oh the youth of America standpoint, you yes. know, like where oh well we got to get our kids reading adult books, but at the same time we you know kids don't read enough. It's like well maybe a way we can like solve some of you know whatever you're perceiving to be the problem is by writing books that they might actually like want to read and might actually speak to their experience in a way that's more authentic, you know. And like I feel like most 
um, you know, like you hear librarians talk about young adult literature and they're glowing about it, right? Like they think it's great. They think it's what's getting people to um, actually, you know, come in and read. It's what's getting people to learn how to, you know, we talk about, um, you know, showing an actual teen experience around issues maybe you don't know enough. It, it's helping people learn to express themselves. I mean, there's all Teens sorts as of, well as adults. Yeah. No, I mean, there's all sorts of use. Um, you know, not that books are should be written or not based on their <laughs> social use. I don't necessarily believe that at all. But um, I do think that if you were trying to play that game, as people do when they're arguing against YA, you could make all kinds of points for the, um, you know, the utility of having an entire robust category of books written well and for younger people. Yeah. It, you know, the the idea is that, like, teens shouldn't be reading this yeah, crap. crap. Right, exactly. Is, is, yeah. is kind of at the same time, it's like, well, depending on what statistics you're reading, anywhere between 60 and 80 percent of YA books that are purchased are read by adults. Right. No, that's, that's, that's the paradox of it. <laughs> that's so, the like, paradox. Why do you – like, so that's kind of where maybe we should kind of wrap this up is why do you think that is? Like, why do you – because I think that this – and this is something, honestly, that, you know, a couple of years ago maybe would have really confused me too. Yeah. You know, it's – why is there this new obsession amongst adults with young adult literature? Like, why do you think it's happening? I don't necessarily – I've never thought it was a good or a bad thing, but it did always bewilder me a little bit. <laughs> and, um, I, you know, now, you know, I've obviously I've, you sort of just learn things as you work in this industry. But, like, why why do you think that is? So I would I would first like to say that – um, the reason that adults read YA is not because adults write YA. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. like, if you think about, you know, the the argument that you mentioned earlier um, is, well, well, these adults are writing it, so it can't be a real thing. Well, yeah, Tolkien didn't wasn't a hobbit either, but you know what? He did it just <laughs> fine. Um, that's a good point. So, so that's you know that's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, but that's that's not it. I think I think as human beings, we're always going to be in some sort of situation where we have questions about something yeah. having to do with our identity, our place, our our friendships, our our life, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like YA books, more so than adult books, can reliably give the reader a space to kind of make peace with what's going on with them yeah. or kind of find find a space where those questions are okay to be asked. You know, if you think about like a 45-year-old woman, um, you know, society might not be giving her a space to wonder about like, you know, now that she has kids and her kids are in school, like what is she going to do with her life? Like who is yeah. she now? You know, and I feel like that that – that kind of like living in the moment that a lot of YA characters do and that that kind of push and pull and kind of exploring them and their community, like that is something that doesn't go away, right? It's almost freeing. It to is. Be, you know, to be able to be in a space that is like rid of that just adult, you know, omniscient melancholy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and not only is it freeing in, in like I mean, we've talked about escapism before, but like there's probably something useful and revitalizing about it too, yeah. you know, like it something is. that actually is good for you. And and not that's not to say that all YA books are happy or end not. well no. or anything no, 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 like no, no, that. No, that's not what I mean. But, yeah. you know, it, it gives a space for that to have play within your own head without it necessarily being like a, a story about suburban depression that you love so much. Um, and <laughs> I also... That, <laughs> I feel that this show has made out my interest in those kind of books to be more than it is. But yeah. well, I'll allow it. I'll um, allow it. But also you have to remember from from just like a reading perspective, like YA books are usually shorter. Yeah. And so, you know, if you only have a few hours to read a book... You don't want to pick up, you know, Game of Thrones. Yeah. You don't want to, like, have to leave it for a month and then pick it back up and not know what's going on. Yeah. So I think I think that it's perfectly fine and it's actually a good thing that a lot of adults are yeah. reading YA mm-hmm. and that adults are writing YA. And I don't think that any of that has any effect on whether or not it is YA. I don't think that any of that has anything to do with whether these books are for teens. I feel like what we need is for adults to write better about YA, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like what hasn't caught up yet is, like, the critical reception that in that 
you know, and like we said, like from that void, you know, we've sort of gotten a lot of the identity traits of this category, but um, it feels like that's the bit of things that needs to catch up is the way people discuss it and um, review it and things yeah. like that. I mean, and, and it's hard because you don't really want to read something and then acknowledge that it's not for you because then there's the sense that like all of the all of the connections and all of the feelings and the experiences that you had reading this book, um, it's if it's not meant for you, then those feel like they're being discounted. And that's not true at all. But I feel like finding out who you are is, is, is totally universal. And whether you're doing that when you're 16 or you're doing it when you're 62, um, that doesn't matter. And a book's a book. And also they're good as hell. They're really good books. That's the thing. They're good as hell. I guess like for me, like maybe it's like, you know, as we move to the right tip here, um, for me, one thing I've always really admired and really like picking one up that I really like about YA um, is the idea of reading a story in which the character's whole life is ahead of him. Yes. And like that feeling being something that they treat with all sorts of, you know, responsibility. You know, it's like the idea that because um, with so much like a literary fiction, it, like you're saying, it's it's um, it's th- it's looking backwards, right? Mm-hmm. But like that unique experience of being able to undergo something intense while also looking forward to a complete lifetime of uncertainty. To me, there's something that's always been like the most poignant thing for me about reading a book that is designated as young adult. I mean, that's why people read, right? Yeah. You open the first cover yeah. and you go, "There's an entire world here, yeah. and I'm just beginning." Yeah. And being a teenager is like that 24-7. Yeah. And so yeah. that's, you know, that's, that is my rant on YA. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> Definitely, listeners, I want to hear your feedback and talk about it with you. Um, but I think, I think we should go to the right yeah, tip. And, and the right tip um, is, is tangentially related to, to what we were just talking about. Um, and the right tip is this. You should write your book for yourself and then you should edit to your audience. Yeah, so I think that's a great one because um, both tend to be if you if you mix the two up, both can be end up being pretty uh, crippling, you know. Like if you if you're trying to write to please whatever market or person or thing that um, you're trying to accomplish, you're going to get away from your best work and you're going to get away from the most authentic version of your writing, and then. It also it just bears it lets you keep in mind if you focus purely on what it is you want to write while you're writing, it lets you really get the most out of editing too because you know that you're gonna have another round of editing. You're gonna have a chance to actually look at some of this again, and so you should feel freed up to not get it exactly perfectly spot on right during the drafting phase, you know, and then you can turn to editing and rather than trying to. Um, you know, grapple with all your own, you know, feelings about your work and things like that. I mean, true editing, you know, comes from being able to think a little bit outside yourself, you know. And so that shift from this stage is for me, this next stage is for how someone else might see it, I think um, is a really good and simple rule of thumb for that frees up both phases. And getting at the warm, gooey center of what this means (laughs) for you, the writer, um, I think Drafting something and and having your story not not having shared it with anyone is is a really really emotional experience. Yeah. And I think that you write so much of yourself onto the page that you should just let it happen. And mm-hmm. then I think a lot of editing is not just refining your work and making it better, but it's also taking all of the you on the page and making space for your reader. Yeah. Um. And so. I think I think a lot of people get frozen when they are trying to write space in for the reader to kind of have their own experience with the book yeah. from the very beginning. Um, and our advice to you, of course, beyond just the craft, beyond anything like that, um, is don't worry about it until until you're focused a little yeah. bit later and the words are written because yeah. um, otherwise, otherwise you're not going to be writing you into the work and it's not going to be the best it can be. Sounds good. Great. Well, thank you so much for letting me rant at you about <laughs> World War II and teenagers and all that stuff. Yeah, that stuff. took a turn. I was not expecting us to start with. I the, always start the, with the, World War II. The 20th century. That was not where I was expecting. <laughs> <I was laughs> anyway, we didn't discuss that. Uh, so. Remember to join us this Thursday for our first Pages episode, and we will see you for our regular episode next week. Bye. <laughs>